Okay, how are we all? We good? Good, excellent. Um, John asked me to speak. Um, what he didn't say was <laughs> it was going to be on April the 1st. <laughs> so I'll only keep you till, I don't know, half past four. Um, I might give you an interval if you're lucky. Um, so there I was. Poised in the middle of darkness, completely surrounded by... I could not see a thing. I could hear just about the sounds of the town, just not far away, and some water running down fairway below me. And on one side, I knew there was a, fo- a drop, and on the other side, there was a wall. I should perhaps explain exactly where I was. I was in... Durham, the town, visiting Toby, and he decided to take us to one of his favorite sort of walks. And we just had a really nice meal in a favorite restaurant that we have out there, uh, Italian restaurant, and we'd eaten a lot, and he said, oh, I want to take you on this walk, it's quite fun. And I thought, great, that sounds good. So we went around past the cathedral, and then down this little um, sort of alleyway, You've got this sort of cathedral that, um, archway, if you like, a pathway that goes down to this, this path, which is completely and utterly dark. Now, I've got blue eyes, and I always thought that blue eyes are good for seeing in the dark. That's what I was brought up to believe, and I think it has been true for some of my life. But I'm kind of at that stage in my life, my eyes aren't exactly doing what they used to do. And uh, I said to Amanda, do you know, Amanda, I actually cannot see a thing. This is no joke. I can't see anything. We were knew we weren't sort of particularly in any danger, but I said, just hold on to me for a while, because the path was, <laughs> was sloping down, and, and I was suddenly aware that, you know, Toby's favorite jaunt was actually pitch dark. And it's a fascinating place, because you can hear the river just gurgling away, uh, you know, 50, 60 feet below, I don't know how many feet. And um, I thought, you know, it's a fair old plunge if you want to jump. And eventually I thought, ah, I've got an idea. I'm a geek. And I always carry things with me which can help out in situations like this. Namely, in this case, it's a smartphone. It's not an iPhone, it's a smartphone. And I thought, yeah, let's make use of this thing. I remembered it has a little torch app on it. So... I found the Torch app, and I turned it on maximum brightness, and there we were. We had a pool of light just in front of us. Not a lot, to be perfectly honest with you, but enough to see where I was putting my feet and making sure I wasn't going to the left where there was a certain drop and to the right where I would have bumped Amanda into the wall. And then we finally went down to the end of that path and down to another path, and there was a path between trees. It's beautiful in the day. At night, it's kind of spooky. And so... We were, there were trees overhead, and there was a really fascinating bower, actually, to the left. At this point, the river was on our right now. Stay with me, stay with me. And so we were walking, and it was still quite a way down to the river, and there was this lovely bower and this opening, and it was really distracting, and I, I, I went to have a look, because it was, it was a leafy glade, a grassy knoll, but in the middle of the dark night, 
And I swear I saw little bright eyes staring at me and blinking like they do in Disney cartoons. And I walked in this little bower, and there was a green sward there, you know, grassy, lawn sort of area, and trees hanging overhead. And I could have got stuck there because it was really quite interesting. But Toby said, no, we've got to get on if we're going to get back. So I went back to the path, and I decided not to stray too much any further. And there I was, shining this little torch, until the battery failed. Technology is only as good as the charge. And, of course, that particular weekend, I'd forgotten to take my charger with me. It's always the case. And so I had used the phone all the way as we were driving up, and I'll explain why in a minute. But anyway, so there we were, without any kind of light whatsoever. And eventually, Toby said, just follow me, we'll be fine. And off he went. And we followed him, and we were fine. Eventually, we got to the town lights and the bridge, and it's really beautiful there. But it's an interesting thing, walking in the dark, when you've only got a small pool of light that's slowly dimming all around you. I was reading a book recently by Bill Bryson, which was bought for me at Christmas by my sons, who know that I love Bill Bryson. And he normally writes travel books, which are hilarious, very funny. I highly recommend them. This book is a kind of a history book. It's called At Home, and it's a history of life in homes. And you think that sounds pretty dull, but actually he talks about the history of electricity, he talks about the history of lighting, the history of architecture, the history of design and art, the history of furniture, the history of plumbing, all the things that we take for granted in the 21st century, he talks about. And one of the chapters, he talks about the history of electricity, and he says, do you realize, and I hadn't really thought about it, that for millennia, when the sun went down, That was it. There was no light. There was moonlight, maybe, on some nights. Starlight on other nights. Otherwise, no light. We're spoilt for light now. We have it all the time. We have it on now. We have projectors. We have so much stuff that's generating light. And yet, in those days, not that long ago, really, the middle of the last century even, Sometimes, even now, you go to a place like that path in Durham and you see there's absolutely no light anywhere. And you, you can imagine what it must have been like for some of the people just living not long ago. Well, grandparents, great-grandparents, great-great-grandparents grew up in a world where when it got dark, it got dark, and that was that. That was your light. You might have had candles and gaslight, but gaslight was pretty feeble. It only illuminated a slight pool, so you go from one gaslight to the next, but in between, there was still darkness. And so, people just got used to living without light. They, they, they'd never known anything else. That was all they'd known. And there's a widespread belief that people went to bed when it got dark. Well, they didn't, actually. They, they carried on going. They did all sorts of things by candlelight and by torchlight, as in flaming torches, burning, and so on. And in the time of Samuel Pepys, in his diary, he writes about... Um, Link boys. And what would happen is you'd go to the theatre and you'd have a lovely time, and then you'd come out and to guide you home there would be a little boy with a shiny torch and you'd give him some money and he'd take you all the way to your home. And he would guide you all the way with this flaming torch. Only trouble was, sometimes the link boys were in league with other people. If other people had paid them a little more money, and they would lead you, not home, but down a little dark alley and you'd get beaten up and robbed. And crime was rife because there was very little witness evidence because no one could see anything. 
because it was dark. And that was how people lived for millennia. And in Psalm 119, verse 105, the psalmist says, Lord, your word is like a lamp to my feet where I tread. And sometimes in life, we look at our life and we say, God, I'd like to know what I'm doing in 18 months' time. I'd really want to know whether I'm going to be able to pull a pension when I retire, because I have no idea right now. And God says, hmm, what about tomorrow morning? What about this evening? I said, no, yeah, yeah, whatever. Tomorrow's fine, but what about next Thursday fortnight? What about that job I was thinking of getting? What about when I finished my degree? What about when I leave school? I've got to plan ahead, and you have, you're right, you have to plan ahead. But in order to have faith, God restricts us sometimes to just that little pool of light. And we would like to see far and away and beyond. But actually, that's still darkness. And we have to trust him. We have to have the kind of faith that is one step at a time. Sometimes in life, when we're faced with situations, it's exasperating because God will give us the next step. But he won't give us four steps or five steps. He'll just say, just have enough faith for the next step. And trust me. And it's kind of hard because sometimes, I mean, Jesus said, blessed are they who have never seen and yet believe. And it's so important when we trust God that we hide his word in our heart. There are many ways of doing that. We're not going to look at those here so much. We're just going to look at the principle of hiding his word in your heart. And part of that is, yes, knowing the Bible, knowing the verses, but also hiding his prophetic word, his rema word in your heart. Maybe God has spoken a word over you that hasn't been fulfilled yet, and you think, God, when's that going to be fulfilled? I'm getting old here. You know, well, all right, speak for myself. But do you see what I'm saying? And, and it's important to live in God's word, both the textual word of God and also the prophetic word of God. Notice that when Jolie was talking about that crisis in the hospital with Patrick, it was traumatic. And God, God's word was planted in her heart. And that gave her the faith that even Avril didn't have at that point. And I can understand, if God speaks to you, there is a point where you get that arresting sense of peace. You don't know how it's going to end. She was still worried. She didn't say she wasn't worried. But she had the peace of God that came through knowing that he was in control and that things were going to be all okay. It's about knowing and trusting God. And that's a big issue too, because sometimes we think, well, <laughs> I don't know. You know, perhaps our view of a father isn't so positive. We may not have a, had a great experience of a father. And so when you read God is my father, you think, hmm, I'm not sure if I like that illustration. And maybe that's something we need to work through. God's word brings light. And it's one of those things that sometimes we want to see far more. And he'll just say, no, just trust me for the next step. The fact of the matter is, there's a wonderful verse in Jeremiah, which, to be honest, I often listen to and I think, oh yeah, I've heard that before. I've heard it many times. People quote it and recite it, but it's true. That's the fact. And God says, I, have, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, 
plans to give you hope and a future. God is a God of hope, and God is a God of the future. We may not be able to see the future, but God can, and he knows what that is, and he knows what's happening in 30 years' time. It's not for us to know. All we need to know is enough to see the next step ahead. When we want to know more, and let's face it, the world wants to know because it goes to fortune tellers and diviners and all sorts of horoscope people or whoever, they want to know the future because they have no one to trust. And when we try to surpass that, we're saying to God effectively, no, I don't trust you anymore. I want to know the future and I don't believe you're going to supply that future for me. And God says, no, I will, because I have plans for you to prosper you, to give you hope and a future. I'm not going to abandon you. I said that. I will in no way leave you or forsake you. So what are you worried about? And when Ginny spoke on worry about a year ago, she said that when we worry, it's kind of like we want to take control. We want to control our future. And worry helps us to think through how we can make that plan work, how we can control our lives. Do you remember the Israelites in the desert? They wanted to control their future. When the manna came and descended on the you know, bits of grass or whatever it was in the desert, people picked it up and thought, this is amazing stuff. I don't know what it tasted like. I often think it must have tasted like crunchy nut cornflakes. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> but it was probably something you could do a lot with make it sweet, make it savory. When there were quail, have it with quail. So it was a substance that sustained them through that difficult time in the desert. They didn't know when the next meal was coming from, but God would provide it. But when they tried to control the future by storing it up for the next day, they'd pick it up the next day and have maggots in it. They had to trust God for every day. As they woke up, they had to believe that he had plans to prosper them, to give them hope in a future. Not that he was going to abandon them there in the desert to starve. And as soon as they panicked and took their eyes off of God and started to believe in their own resources, problems arose. So it's about learning to trust God that he has hope and a future. God's word brings light to our feet. God's word also brings direction. On our way to Durham for that time when my phone ran out of battery and I forgot to bring the charger, the reason it ran out of battery was because Amanda was driving. Why is that relevant? Because I was tracking our route on the phone, on the navigation thing. I love those things. I love sat-nav. How did we cope without sat-nav? I, I often think we get so used to this technology, don't we? When I grew up, we didn't have sat-nav. We didn't have... We had, you know, maps. That was all we had. We used to drive in, milk the road, lick road clean. Kids don't know they're born. The fact is, we didn't have this technology. And mobile phones, we say to the boys, take your phone, text us when you're, you know, ready to be picked up or whatever. So they text us. In my day, we used to go into the payphone, find the red payphones, and then wait for the pips. And if 
the phone was broken, the pips would go, and you couldn't put your money in. It was the most frustrating thing. Hello? Hello? Beep, 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 beep. Hello? Hello? And that was it. Technology's moved on so quickly. Technological revolution has been amazing. And so SatNav comes along. Take the next left. At the roundabout, take the second exit. Then join the motorway. And you think, hang on, lady. I'm not supposed to be on the motorway. I'm supposed to be riding against the flow. She doesn't get metaphor. So we have this sat-nav. And once we went to Sheffield, we had a, um, I think, I think we were going to see uh, the university or something. So we went up to Sheffield. It's a lovely town. love Sheffield. And I navigated all the way. We just got the sat-nav. And I navigated all the way with the sat-nav. So I didn't navigate. She did it all. Turn left, turn right, turn around where possible. <laughs> I was in love with this thing. Amanda wasn't so sure. Okay. And then we found the, the travel lodge, no problem at all. Fantastic. Parked, turned it off. Thought, let's explore Sheffield once we checked in. Let's explore Sheffield. So we got back in the car. Amanda decided to drive. So I said, oh, let's use the sat-nav. She said, oh, do we have to? Yeah, yeah, well, we don't know, Sheffield. We don't know where we're going. <laughs> so let's type in a, a landmark, and it'll take us there. <laughs> Reluctantly, Amanda agreed. It was about half an hour later, we were facing the pedestrians on the pedestrian precinct. <laughs> How did we get here? Keep right. We can't keep right. We can't go forward. Keep right. Turn around. Where? Keep. Turn left. Turn left. Turn around. Where? Keep right. There is no signal. For goodness sake. Blooming thing. And I was saying to him, it's wonderful. No, it's not wonderful. God's word, thankfully, is a little more reliable. Although still, you only have enough to see the next step. And sometimes we want to control further, and it ain't so easy. Amanda, tell us a story about uh, how God gave us some direction. She's Hello. Okay. Um, I always think when you say things like um, God's word is light to our feet and brings direction, it sounds very easy. And in my experience, it's never quite been as easy as that. So I thought I'd give a story from my perspective. Um, And some of you may have heard it before if you've been in the church for a while. Um, It's a story of when we had no direction We were completely stuck, Dave and I, and there was really no practical way forward. So in um, 1986, we were just married, newly married, and we lived in a rented flat in Seven Kings. And it was very cheap, and there were lots of reasons why it was very cheap. 
which I might elaborate on later. And Richard and Sue Griffin lived upstairs. That wasn't one of the reasons why it was cheap. (laughs) Um, So that was well and good. Uh, We didn't have any of our own furniture. It was uh, furnished in an interesting style. But five years later, with two children, we were still in that flat. Um, There was no space for us much. There was no heating. Um, Dave was actually earning less than I had been when I'd stopped work to have Jem. And eventually we moved to the upstairs flat. Richard and Sue moved out. We went upstairs to escape the rising damp. Um, there was a frog that used to come into the bathroom downstairs quite regularly. We weren't quite sure how it got in, but it was there. Um, there was a big hole in our kitchen floor that, where woodworm, you know, one of the planks w- was missing, so we just put something over it, some lino. And we had a twin tub that I was washing for two babies with, with those little rubber nozzles that you kind of crank onto the taps. And then you had to put a plastic bag around because it would shoot off as soon as the water came through. So every time I did a wash, and there's quite a lot of washing with two small children, you had to stand over the washing machine for the entire time. So it was good that we moved upstairs. But we still had a baby and a toddler in a one-bedroom flat, and things were tight. Now this issue, this Dave and Amanda's accommodation issue, as John called it, had been on the agenda for about six years. And John had a little notebook, and I don't know if he still has a notebook where he writes things down, does he? Things that need sorting or praying for or something like that. And things came and went out of the notebook and got sorted and God provided for people and things were done. But Dave and Amanda's accommodation stayed in this notebook. There was just no way that we could move out. Um, And John kept saying, oh... Dave and Amanda's accommodation, what are we going to do? And I remember one day Dawn said, John, it's not accommodation. Amanda needs a home. (laughs) And I think, I was thinking about this yesterday, I thought actually that was something that started to sow something in me, that actually, yeah, we were just in accommodation, but here we were, six years married with two kids, and we hadn't actually got a place we could call our home. So I think that was a significant moment, but not enough to earn. Now, I don't know what prompted to move out, and we weren't earning enough. I don't know what prompted John to um, say this to us, but he said to us one day, okay, what I want you to do is to um, go away and seek God, and I want both of you to do that. And looking back, I can see why that was important that we both did it. Um, Not together, but both go and and see what God's saying. Um, No pressure. Um, And Dave went away and um, came back and said he had the sense that uh, God was saying, push the boat out. That was all. I didn't have anything as clear as that, but I just had a sense that something's shifting, something's moving, the time is is changing. Something was beginning to shift in me. And it reminded me last week when John talked about his mind and his moment, that sometimes the two things come together. And it was kind of more about the moment, I think, for me, and together with Dave's word. Now, in terms of trusting God for money, my position had always been I grew up with the thinking that you don't 
buy something if you haven't got the money. It's not sensible. You save your money. If you've got your money, you buy it, and that's how it is. And we were about to start out on a a journey which has become a kind of theme of our life, really. (laughs) And I learned that that's actually not biblical. Um, It doesn't make sense what we were about to do and what God was about to do. But we certainly didn't have the money, but we were about to embark on something. So Dave's salary was half of what we needed to get a mortgage from anywhere but we started to move in the sense of rather than sitting there saying, well, we can't do it, nothing's changing, we'll sit here, we can't do it, we can't do it. We started to look at some two-bedroom flats, and I'm pretty sure that that was my influence. That was the safe, sensible decision to just look for the minimum that we could do. Um, but it's as we took that step to look at two-bedroom flats, we thought, oh my goodness, they're too small, we'd already fill it, what are we doing, this this is not sensible. So we thought, oh, okay, maybe a two-bedroom house. So it was little by little that we started to walk and to move. Um, so we widened our search and we looked at two-bedroom houses. You know what, we pretty much filled those as well because they were very small. Um, we had no um, kind of budget in mind because we had no money. And it was only when we looked at our first three-bedroom house, just looking, just looking, that we kind of had a sense, do you know what? I think this is what God wants for us. We, we don't have any means. We don't have any way forward. But this kind of feels right. Um, so one step at a time, God showed us and took us along the way. We didn't have the full picture as we started. And for me, there were no blinding words or specifics, really. And it was scary. I remember a scary moment. It wasn't like God spoke and it was all sorted. I remember one moment when we, one time we went to the building society and we still had no money. And we were sitting there thinking, what are we doing? This is stupid. And she was typing in Dave's salary and this red warning light kept coming up on the screen blocking. I wouldn't use this as a rule of thumb generally (laughs) in life. But it kept coming up saying, don't do that, no. <laughs> and I was thinking, oh, my goodness. That was, that was, you know, reality, but that wasn't what God had said. And Dave was actually quite faithful, and he kept bringing me back going, it's okay, what has God said? Oh, yeah, 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 what has God said? Well, okay, okay, we'll, we'll keep going, we'll keep going. But it wasn't easy, and I think there were many nights when I went to sleep thinking, this is a scary place, and I, don't, I can't see how this is going to work out. Uh, so I wasn't full of faith all of the time. Now, we were in um, John Dawn's house group at the time, and some of you will remember this story. And John had said with the group, we had still had no plan as such, but John had said to the group, um, you know, let's stand with Dave and Amanda. Let's see what God's saying, how we can support them in any way. We could help them pack We could give them bits of furniture, you know, it could be anything. Um, But what we didn't know was that the members of the group went away and sought God. And God spoke to them individually. And one by one they came back to John and said, God has told us to give X amount of money. No one knew what anyone else was giving. And so um, two months later we had £10,000 to... um, 
put towards our first house. We actually had to put an offer on a house with no money at all. And that was not a nice nice thing to do. But £10,000 um, came through the door in different amounts. And our solicitor decided not to charge us for his fees as well. I don't know how you do that. But it was an amazing story. And so we don't see the whole picture. And I think if God had said, oh, let's launch out and get a three-bedroom house, I, we would never have done it. But it was literally one step at a time and then the next step and the next step and the next step and I can say really that's kind of been a theme 25 years on for us um, in many different circumstances that God is still showing us it's not about whether you can afford things necessarily it's is it right has God said and coming back to God's word £10,000 was the exact sum Ten thousand was the exact sum we needed for a deposit for the place that we've set our hearts on. It was uh, thirty-two Greenway, where, which is still Anthony Clare's house, lovely place. Um, so, God's word brings light, illuminates our path. It brings direction and it brings hope. A year ago, I was about to be made redundant. I kind of knew it was on the cards because my project was coming to an end, and I felt it was right to finish at Lifeline. But um, around about January, I started looking for jobs, thinking, oh, I'll find a couple, maybe get a couple of interviews, and eventually get a job. And three, four months, and 92 applications later, I started to think, maybe this isn't God's way. I even had interviews. Some, some went very well, but I just heard nothing back from the people. It's the most exasperating, bizarre time. And God gradually, again, step by step, uh, showed me back to running my own company and earning money that way. And it's been fantastic, a great year, I have to say. Thanks to God and thanks to Lifeline for helping sort of commission me to do stuff. But what was interesting was the way God did it. He didn't say in January, you're going to apply for 92 jobs and they're all going to turn down a plug hole. No, he actually just let me have hope for the next step. So I thought, oh, I've got an interview coming up. That gave me hope. I got to the interview didn't work out, but something else came up that gave me hope. And something else would come up and give me hope. And then a little bit of commissioned work would come. So I think, well, I've got enough to live on for a month. So I'll, I'll worry about the next month when it, oh, there's another job here. And so bit by bit, God was saying, I'll look after you. Don't worry, David. I'll look after you. And I had a real sense of, of peace. It wasn't easy. But there were times I remember sitting in the garden in the sun thinking, Everyone at Lifeline's working hard. I used to work hard about now. And here I am in the garden seeking God for my future, thinking, I'm not working. This is nice. <laughs> and then a phone call would come. And it would be someone saying, could you pop in for an interview? Or could you discuss this piece of business or whatever? And I think, hurrah. And off I'd go and do whatever I had to do. And gradually, bit by bit, I learned to stop applying for jobs and thinking, actually, no, my company can look after me. And that was a wonderful moment, too. Bit by bit, God's word gives us hope. God's word also, finally, gives us faith. It says in Romans ten seventeen, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And the context of that is in hearing the words of salvation. And indeed, when you hear the gospel and you step forward, God meets you. And it's the most amazing thing. I remember when it happened to me when I was 19 years old. 
And God's word, his Bible, came alive to me in a way it hadn't before. I had wanted to be as famous as John Lennon. And I wrote songs, and I thought, this is, this is my path in life. And I remember when God met me that day, I looked at that verse, and it said, Jesus said, um, what does a man gain if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? I thought, wow. And it's not that John Lennon has lost his soul, but I just thought, you know, the world won't love you back. It'll shoot you in the back, actually. So you've got to be careful where you tread, but rather follow me, and I will show you bit by bit, where your life can go. And that was, a, that was an amazing moment. The word came alive. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And we hold on to his word, even if circumstances mitigate against it. Sometimes people say to me, I've heard God, and I know because this happened, and that happened, and that happened, and it all confirms. And sometimes God does work in that way, but sometimes it's not circumstantial. Sometimes, actually, the circumstances seem to get worse, and God is still working, and he's still doing what he's going to do. But quite often, it's about how he shapes us in the process of what we want to achieve. And we may achieve what we want to achieve, or we may not. And sometimes we achieve something completely different than what we were expecting. But it's about him shaping us in the process. Lucy, could you come tell us about how God did that for you? Um, I'm going to just talk a bit about our journey to, um, to go to Sierra Leone. Not our journey, like, on the plane you know, our journey. Um, and this is a few things that when I talked to Dave that just kind of came, came out to me as, as examples of how God takes us step by step. Um, so when Rich and I first met, we both had a real sense of adventure, like we wanted to travel and work abroad, and we felt that was something God was giving us. Um, and each of us kind of, you know, chose career paths that would take us in that direction. And, you know, thought that at some stage we would do, never really sort it out, but at some stage that would happen. And then we met Richard Cole, um, PJ's dad, that was a very dear friend of ours. And um, Caleb was probably about one or two then, our oldest son. And I remember we met Richard and we just both had this real sense of joining with him and very much a kind of, oh yeah, God, this is going to be the way that we're going to be you know, living abroad and serving you abroad. You know, we didn't, we, we, we didn't think that we'd need to make plans for school for Caleb. No, never thought about primary school, never would look to any schools. We just thought, yeah, in a, in a year or two, we're working with Richard. And, you know, the years kind of came and, um, the, you know, the troubles increased in Sierra Leone and um, became, you know, really quite severe. And we kept asking Richard, you know, do you think we we we'll be coming to work with you? He said, oh, in time, in time, you know, in time. And our relationship with him gradually strengthened and we became very close friends. And uh, part of my preparation was going and doing this tropical nursing diploma. So um, I went and did this diploma. And um, I don't know if, it, if any of you have done nursing or medicine. You kind of go to a lecture on a disease and you, you come out of the lecture and you, you've got that disease. Clearly, you know, you, you, you know, all the symptoms, oh yeah, you know, I definitely have that. 
But there was this one lecture I went to on malaria. And obviously, I didn't think I had malaria because, you know, I hadn't been bitten by a mosquito that day. But I came out um, of this lecture, and I just, my heart was just full of terror. And I thought, God, we, we can't take three little, ch- well, two that was then, two or three, I can't remember. We can't take, <laughs> after a while, you know. <laughs> I think it was probably three by then. We can't take three little children to, to a country like Sierra Leone. You know, that would just, I mean, you know, no, no, I don't think we can do that. I remember walking across Russell Square. Like we, I did the course in the um, London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine and walking across Russell Square and actually just crying and just saying, oh, God, I, we can't do this unless I, unless I know that you're giving me this to do. This isn't something we can responsibly do. And it, it doesn't always happen like this to me, but in an instant or in a moment, God gave me a gift of faith. And like the, 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 all the churning and the trouble just went. And I just had this thought, look, actually... What's safer, good maize or <laughs> Sierra Leone in a civil war? If God's saying, if God's saying, go to Sierra Leone, no matter what the, the political circumstances are, that's the safest place for my kids. And it wasn't something I could have worked through logically. You know, I'll get to a logical place in a minute where I'm happy to take these children to this, you know, place where the foreign office was saying nobody travel there under any circumstances. And we didn't travel at that time, actually. But that was the first moment where I felt like God was saying it, and it wasn't me having to step out into this awful kind of wasteland of fear. It was actually, well, God will give me the the faith bit by bit to take each step. So I think at that moment, for me, I, I felt that, you know, this is really was God confirming what was going to happen. And then um, fairly shortly, it must have been the beginning of 2000, Richard wrote to us and said, I think the time's come for you to come. I think it's safe enough. I feel it's the right time. So, you know, so we were excited. And Richard and I um, went just the two of us. We left the children with Paul and Paula. And we went um, for about 10 days to Sierra Leone. Brilliant. You know, we felt that God confirmed, you know, that we should go. And it was very, we fitted in and we felt very joined to the people there. Um, And great, you know. So we came back all ready for that. Very shortly after that, it changed again. And there was more problems and more troubles. And it seemed obvious to us and to Richard that we weren't going to be able to go. And it was a mixture of that and... I think God getting me ready for something. But I went through a very difficult period. And for about six months, um, between the summer of that year after going and the Christmas of that year, that I went through a quite, quite a deep depression. And um, when I look upon it now, I wouldn't swap it for anything, actually, because I felt like God was just stripping back what was kind of... M- my identity in things. But wasn't I this adventurous person that was going to live in Sierra Leone? Wasn't that part of who I am? No, that, that has to come away. And uh, quite a lot of it was to do with, you know, me as a mum and, um, you know, but, but, you know, struggling with some of those normal parenting issues. But this is, 
but that's who I am, you know. And, and God kind of stripped so much away that it got down to just me and God. And once I was in a place where I was, you know, it was quite a naked place, vulnerable place, but it was just, actually, I'm good. Me and God are good, you know. And that God was able to then add back my sense of real security in my family and, you know, the, the sense of, oh, we can, you know, we will go to Sierra Leone, but if we don't, it's, that's not wrapped up in my identity. You know, that's not who I am. And um, that was quite a difficult time. Let me just look at my little notes here that I made sure. <laughs> okay, yeah, and I think um, it was like I had to just say, okay, God, here are my open hands. Here's everything. Here's my kids. Here's my, you know, this, this desire to go to Sierra Leone. Here's everything. And um, not kind of trying to hold it and trying to grasp it and trying to control it all. And I felt like um, in the end, I had gone from thinking that I was this kind of center with everything trying to spin around me and I was trying to keep it all going and, you know, my family and this idea of Sierra Leone and everything until I could just see clearly that Jesus was this in the center, you know, the strong, all the, the forces of gravity and all that stuff. He was this central place and I was part of what was spinning around him with my kids and with Rich and with all this idea of Sierra Leone. And it just seemed like a different place. I didn't feel like I was trying to control everything. And if I somehow, you know, collapsed, it would all collapse. And, you know, it's a very, really secure and safe place that I felt God brought me into. Um, and, you know, strangely enough, as God works, um, soon after that Christmas time, when God really restored me, um, Richard wrote again <laughs> and said, I think it's safe. I think you should come. <laughs> so, um, a funny thing was at that time, part of my thinking about, you know, my controlling stuff was I thought, well, maybe I'd have another baby. That's a good idea. You know, that'll be something to do. <laughs> Sounds really silly now, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> because, you know, um, if we weren't going to have that thing that I've been, you know, looking to God for, then maybe I could make something happen that, you know. And actually, a faithful friend just, you know, brought some truth to me and said, look, you know, you know what God said. God said, you're going to Sierra Leone, and this isn't something to do to, you know. And actually, God has added to me, hasn't he? Because I expected to have another child under the age, but God had another child, you know, at the other end of my family. So, you know, God did give me, um, bless me in that way with PJ. Um, So, (laughs) just moving on slightly. (laughs) Um, So, um, we planned to go to Sierra Leone, and God um, made things really fit into place in terms of, when we had decided, it just suddenly seemed like this huge thing, like, but we've got a house, and, you know, children, you know, what about schools, and, but actually, it wasn't that, it's about what Dave was saying, those things could just come step by step, okay, God, what about the house, okay, God sorted that out, what about this, what about that, in the end, um, we decided that Rich would go two weeks ahead of me, because we didn't need somewhere to live. So we figured that <laughs> that would be a good plan with some guidance from um, Richard. So um, we'd moved out of the house, and Rich went on September the 12th, 2001, so the day after the September the 11th thing, and that was all quite a big deal, because flying and everything. But anyway, 
Um, so I was left behind with the children. Richard went off to Sierra Leone. And I only realized on the way to church this morning that I could talk about it from my perspective, that whenever I rang him, I'd say, how's the flat hunting going? And he'd say, oh, no, not yet. Not yet. And the, the days kind of went, you know, past. And I was due to go on the 1st of October, I think on about the 29th. How's it going? He said, yeah, we're not quite there yet. <laughs> and I remember people in church would ask me, they'd say, oh, How's, how's Rich found somewhere? And I wouldn't want to tell them because I think I feel okay because I feel like, it, you know, I had the faith really. God had given it as a gift to me. But, you know, because it wasn't wrapped up in the other people's lives, it was a bit more of a freaky thing. And I'd say, oh, well, he's, yeah, almost, you know. Um, so I thought I'd ask Rich to come and just tell me. I had, can I ask Rich, Dave, um, how he was feeling when he was there? I'm trying to find somewhere for us to come, our four-year-old, seven-year-old, and nine-year-old, and his wife turning off on a plane. Just very briefly, yeah, it was an interesting time. Um, Many of you remember Richard Cole, and he had a particular way of working. Sometimes if you went, he he didn't turn up for days, basically. And um, I was staying in a guest house in Freetown, and um, I was expecting to be going around and perhaps going in a taxi or going with him to look at various places and sometimes I, was, I sat in and I didn't see anyone all day. Um, he, and uh, it was, the time was getting shorter and shorter. But I just remember quite simply making the most of that time, sitting and praying. I remember I kept a diary. I never kept a diary since or before that of my thoughts and just crying out to God. And, you know, we, we, did, we did get somewhere. And it was fantastic. And many of you had a chance to come and see it. And it it was a very, just an ideal place for us in the middle of the town. But, yeah, faith, we knew God had brought us there. I don't remember thinking back and panicking. uh, But I trusted God and I trusted Richard, you know. And I think one of the things we haven't perhaps talked a lot about is that, yeah, of course, we, we trust God. He's our Father. But there are good people around us. Mm. There are good people in this community who stand with us and walk with us and go through things with us. And that's very important because that's what church is about, isn't it? It's having people alongside you who don't give up on you, who walk with you. And I trusted Richard. I trusted uh, people here. And I think that's that's a very important thing to remember as well. Um, And just to finish off, um, just, you know, while we were out there for those three years, God, you know, so many times we would just be able to say to each other, it's okay because God's put us here. It's safer to be here than it is to be in Good Maze. And I remember one night Tom got bronchitis and he was on the veranda just really coughing. You know, when they cough and cough and you think, come on, breathe, come on, you know, and coughing and thinking, where will I go? Where will I take him? You know, but actually still knowing that, it's okay, because this is safer. God has put, brought us here. You know, and sometimes um, Nay would get fevers like little kids get. And I wouldn't fly into a panic thinking, oh, she's got malaria and she's going to die. And you know, I would just, I mean, I worry. You know, I'd, I'd get anxious. But I wouldn't, it wouldn't be that level of thinking, oh, we shouldn't have come. And it's very much because God had spoken and he'd been kind enough to speak a couple of times and, and be very clear with us. You'd always be able to come back and say, it's okay, God's in this with us. He, you know, he's not going to let us down at this stage, which he never did. You know, he really, really never did. Thank you.
I suppose what really comes out in that particular story is how ultimately it is you and God. And Lucy found that for herself and Richard also in the hotel. It was just him and God. There was nothing more he could do except trust God. And um, if you're feeling as though life has been stripped down, take heart because it's about what God's doing in you, not about the things you can achieve because he will achieve his purposes in and through you anyway. But if you let go and let him do what he has to do, it may be painful, but he will always, always prove himself faithful to the very end. Thank you.